and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about a wonderful movie about female friendship and growing up in the 70s with all the fashion and the music and all of it. It's been called The Female Stand By Me. That's right, we're going to be talking about 1995's Now and Then. So my history with this film is uh, I have an older sister, hey Sarah, and I'm sure she watched this at some point in her life, like earlier on, but I don't ever remember watching it as a kid or anything. Um, don't quite remember. I probably saw this when I was a teenager for the first time. I probably caught it on TV or something like that. I don't even know if my sister owned it or anything because I would have probably watched it if she did. But when I saw that, you know, people in this movie, like, you know, some of the young girls in it were young child stars who have now grown up to have pretty robust careers in Hollywood, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have to get into this. Like, why not, you know? And I did, and I thought it was really great. And I also probably watched this first before I ever watched Stand By Me. And even though Stand By Me is a really great movie, and I understand why it could be compared to to this... I also think that this movie is just a nice original story that came from somebody who wrote it, and I understand the comparisons to Stand By Me, but I also think this stands alone on its own as well. It's a good little piece of cinema. So as we normally do on the show, I'll be talking about some figures about the movie, I got some critical response pull quotes that I got from some critics of the time who didn't seem to like it, and then I'll also give you some kind of little fun facts and notes on this film. There's not really a whole lot in terms of production history that I could really find, but we'll go over that once we get into that part, and then we'll go into a plot summary. So, let's get on with those figures. So Now and Then was written by I, Marlene King, directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, and produced by Demi Moore and Suzanne Todd. It was released on October 20th, 1995, had a budget of about $12 million, and had a box office of a gross U.S. and Canada of $27.1 million, and then a worldwide gross of $37.5 million. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 33% on the tomato meter and an 82% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 6.7 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.5 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Gabby Hoffman and Demi Moore playing the young and older version of Samantha Albertson. We have Christina Ricci and Rosie O'Donnell playing the young and older version of Roberta Martin. We have Ashley Ashton Moore and Rita Wilson playing the young and older version of Chrissy DeWitt. And then we have Thor Birch and Melanie Griffith playing the young and older version of Tina Teeny. Tercel. We also have Devin Sawa playing Scott Wormer, Lolita Davidovich as Mrs. Albertson, Samantha's mother, Cloris Leachman as Grandma Albertson, the grandmother to um, Samantha, Hank Azaria playing Bud Kent, Mrs. Albertson's new boyfriend, Bonnie Hunt playing Mrs. DeWitt, Chrissy's mother, Janine Groffo playing Willa Dean, a diner waitress and a spiritual reader and advisor that the girls visit, Walter Sparrow as quote-unquote Crazy Pete, an old man who only comes out at night, and the girls seem to be afraid of. And we also have an uncredited cameo from Brennan Fraser as a Vietnam veteran the girls talk to on their way to another town. So I've pulled some critical response quotes from some critics that watch this film, seem to not like it. We have Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times who states, The adult actresses are completely superfluous to the movie, which is a contrived stand-by-me kind of story. 
We then have Fred Topol from About.com who states, standard coming-of-age story, the adult gimmick doesn't add anything. And then we have Margaret A. McGurk from the Cincinnati Inquirer who states, this would have been a more appealing movie with less now and a lot more then. In regards to any production history I was able to find about the film, so mainly I found that this movie was done in the Country Walk subdivision in Savannah, Georgia, uh, which was called Shelby, Indiana for the movie, but this was done in Georgia. It used the Gaslight Edition community that they have, and then also the Old Town Cemetery as well, and it highlighted their downtown area. Additional filming in this movie was done in Statesboro, Georgia, so they used a Bullock County courthouse, which was also in another film called 1969 with Robert Downey Jr. And then a building now housing the Averitt Center for the Arts. That was another location that they used. So this is very much a Georgia-based production. Some little bit of fun facts about the film. So in the movie, young Roberta and young Chrissy... Chrissy punches Roberta for something that she does. And actually, Christina Ricci forgot to turn her head at a certain point, And she actually got punched in the face by accident and the production actually had to shut down for a few days because Christina Rishi had a bad bruise on her face. You will notice that in my plot summary I did this before I did this fun fact part but I noticed that I feel like Rosie O'Donnell is supposed to be a lesbian in this movie just because of certain little things that you know are in the movie and Rosie O'Donnell has stated that the character of Roberta was supposed to be a lesbian and the film though was later re-edited to make her straight. So there's a line in the beginning that Rita Wilson says where she's like, Roberta lives in sin with her boyfriend. And that line was actually looped in at the last minute. And then it's funny, seven years later, Rosie O'Donnell then comes out as a lesbian. But when you look at this movie and you're like, oh, okay, I, I see what they're doing here. Got it, got it, got it. But it was 1995 and I'm sure I'm sure they couldn't really just have like this openly gay character in the movie for whatever reason so you know i wish they kind of did that now though so in the adult chrissy that's played by rita wilson she's scanning the cover of people magazine in the beginning where teeny is on the cover of it and there's a smaller headline on that magazine that says linda richmond tells all in new autobiography and if you don't know linda richmond she's a um, character that michael myers uh, plays in Saturday Night Live back in the day. So it's kind of funny they have the little Easter egg. The movie itself now and then, which was also going to be known as the Gaslight Edition, which is the community where the girls live, uh, it was actually written about a town in Indiana that's called Winchester, and it's Gaslight Edition. And so the author of the story, I, Marlene King, she grew up in that area, and so did Robert Wise, the director of, like, The Haunting, but they did it in vastly different years, obviously. But apparently Winchester, the town, declined to have their name associated with the movie, but then you had to be named Shelby, Indiana, but then Winchester later then preserved areas that were mentioned in the movie. So it's kind of funny that if that is true, like, I wouldn't be surprised by that, I guess, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, now that it's like kind of a little bit of a successful movie, you then want to claim it when initially you couldn't just call it Winchester. Apparently Kirsten Dunst was offered the role of Chrissy, but refused to gain weight for the role, and she stated that it wasn't worth ruining her figure uh which i mean she was like literally probably either the same age or a little younger than some of the girls that were cast in this movie so i think she's hilarious and i would have loved to see her in this role but 
you know, I can kind of understand. She also had a, a lot other stuff going on, too, and she had other films as well. But I would have loved to see Kirsten Dunst in this movie. It would have been great. There's apparently scenes in this movie where the girls ran a carnival to help raise money for their treehouse, because that's their summer goal. But those parts got cut out of the movie. And then, actually, there's a little anachronism in this movie. So, uh, in this film... The girls are singing the Tony Orlando hit, Knock Three Times, and they're singing this while they're on their way to the next town over to do some research, but the song was actually not released until November of 1970, and this is taking place in the summer of 1970, so there's no possible way that this... Tony Orlando's song would have even existed in the setting of the movie. So, a little bit of an anachronism, but, you know, no, no worries. We, we get out those all the time. Rita Wilson, Rosie O'Donnell, and Gabby Hoffman were all in Sleepless in Seattle together, so it was kind of a nice little reunion, I'm sure. And also Christina Ricci, Gabby Hoffman, and Janine Garofalo, who are all in this film, then went on to star in the movie 200 Cigarettes in 1999. It takes place on New Year's Eve. It takes place in New York. All that good stuff. And I think I will believe this little bit of fun fact uh the name of chrissy in this movie um it might be a nod if anything to three's company because it's a combination of suzanne summer's character chrissy and then joyce dewitt's last name who played janet on the show and i tend to actually kind of agree with that because if anything maybe the author of this had watched Three's Company, and that is such a 70s-type show that I think it would be kind of fun if they did kind of make that and take that. I, I choose to believe that that is a real thing, so. In regards to this movie being a cult classic, I absolutely think it is. In the years since Now and Then was released, uh, this film has really gained a large cult following. It was on TV a bunch of times. It's on home video. I think uh, girls definitely watched it sleepovers because it is a very female girl-centric movie, obviously. In a New York Times piece that discussed the film's cultural impact, um, Alana Kaplan wrote that Now and Then was ahead of its time for, quote, giving the complexities of girlhood a weight the coming-of-age films had heretofore typically neglected. Um, the film showed tween girls as fully realized characters who weren't written off or secondary. Tackling grief and death along with budding sexuality give their stories weight when narratives about female adolescence uh, were often surface level. And I completely agree with that because this movie is not like a prettied up, gussied up version of what girls' lives are like. Um, it really is just like, these girls are tween teenage type girls and they swear and they're not just like all you know this typical archetype of what a girl should be and I really like that and I think that's also why people really like this movie and it's uh, been around for forever. The screenwriter I, Marlene King, went on to create the drama series called Pretty Little Liars, which she said is influenced a little bit by now and then. King would actually reunite with the director of this film, Leslie Linka Gladder, for Pretty Little Liars, with Leslie doing the pilot episode of Pretty Little Liars and also two season finales. King announced in 2012 that they would be trying to develop now and then into a series for ABC Family, the project didn't materialize or anything. And according to King, ABC Family wanted to change the concept so the now was present day and the then would be the 90s. And she didn't want to do that. She felt like this kind of ruins how special the movie is. Um, she didn't want to take a chance on changing the time period because to her, there will never be a 1970s again. So trying to set it in the 90s when you have cell phones and things like that, she just doesn't really think it would have worked. So it's interesting to see that, like, yeah, ABC Family definitely ran this movie, I remember, but I would say 
again, this is a movie that I think a lot of girls can really appreciate and enjoy. It does get compared to Stand By Me, but I do think they're two separate type stories because A, Stand By Me is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel and also, or it's not even a novel, it was a short story. But regardless, I think this film is something that, you know, Isla Marlene King really wrote because she had this kind of lived experience um, as a girl when she was, you know, young. And I really think that that kind of shows honestly i was listening to a podcast a couple months ago uh, from chrissy carlson romano it's called vulnerable and she had mara wilson on the podcast and i remember mara wilson talking about how she watched this film at a sleepover when she was like a tween teen something like that and how she really connected with the character of roberta because roberta lost her mom when she was young and mara wilson famously also did as well she lost her mom when she was filming matilda and so it's interesting that like even someone like mara wilson who is a child actress and very known child actress could also have that connection with a movie like this especially with contemporaries in a way of her own like they're only a little older than her i think but you know being able to to see yourself in somebody is like really cool and and i think it's also why this movie has such a cult following and really lets people enjoy um the story of these girls and their friendship and it feels a little bit more real to me if anything that with all that being said let's move on to our plot summary so we start off our movie with a game of red rover red rover uh with the whole neighborhood seems to be taking place in someone's backyard uh everyone's bikes are all parked everywhere and this is set to sign seal delivered by stevie wonder we see four girls on one end of the yard and then we see the rest of the kids on the other end of the yard these four girls end up being our lead actresses that we have in the movie Uh, but they're trying to figure out who they can have sent over for red rover so they can try to get them out so they can win the game and so they end up choosing a boy by the name of bobby fricker who just picks his nose and eats his boogers uh but you know what he's a wimp so he'll be easy to get out and so they end up locking hands with each other and they have him come over they're able to get him out of the game so they end up winning so after we see the girls be victorious at red river red rover we get an actual introduction to each one of the girls as part of our title sequence so we have uh roberta martin who is uh played as young Roberta by Christina Ricci and older Roberta as Rosie O'Donnell we learn that she is a doctor she's like an OBGYN um she apparently uh, played in a softball game which is kind of fun because you know Rosie O'Donnell is a lesbian and by this point she hasn't actually been out yet um but it's kind of funny that they had that and it's also funny too because she was in the league of their own too so not the same as exactly baseball and softball but i thought that was kind of a funny touch we then get tina slash teeny tercel uh played by uh young teeny is thor birch and older teeny is melanie griffith uh she is an actress who is uh on the cover of tv guide she's got her awards all over the place and we see that she's a hollywood actress we then uh see our intro to Samantha Albertson, played by Gabby Hoffman as young Samantha. And then we have older Samantha, played by Demi Moore, who also serves a produ- as a producer on this movie as well. And we see that she has written some books, like sci-fi books. So we see a typewriter and everything. So we only can glean the idea that she is a writer of some sort. And then finally, we have, uh, while we see our setup for Samantha, we hear a phone call being left as a message on her machine 
by our last character, Chrissy. Chrissy DeWitt, played by uh, Young. Chrissy is played by Ashley Aston Moore, who unfortunately passed away in the mid-2000s. You have Rita Wilson, Mrs. Uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, pretty much, Chrissy is calling Samantha because she's like, hey, just wanted to make sure you were still coming to town. Uh, I didn't know if it was you. I didn't know if this was your number. But now that I heard your message, I know it's you. Um, and, you know, because remember, a promise is a promise. And so they're excited to see you. That's you get your little bit of introduction for each one of the girls. And then we have our title sequence of now and then. So we see that Samantha is smoking and driving. She's driving back to her childhood home of Shelby, Indiana, uh, where she is coming back because she made a promise to her friends when she was a kid that, you know, they'd always be with each other. So they never really, you know, Samantha never really wanted to come back home like this. Uh, You know, promise is a promise, though. And so you just see her car, so you see that she just has, like, a carton of Marlboros, which I thought was really funny, Um, and, like, a map of Indiana, because this is before GPS, and we just get the idea that she has, you know, a little bit of a uh, cluttered life, but that's fine. We then get introduced to Roberta, who stayed in Indiana and became a doctor, as I said, and she gets a page on her pager, she's then calling, but then we also get... An intro to Chrissy, who is getting ready in her vanity, and she's curling her hair and everything. She's singing I'll Be There, which is a fabulous song. We see that she is wedded, uh, which is awesome, too. They're all meeting at Chrissy's house. We see that Roberta has let herself into Chrissy's house, and she got some, like, groceries and beer and things like that, because this is a celebration. Because we then find out that pretty much these girls are now all getting back together. So we find that um, it looks like Roberta and Chrissy stayed in Indiana, whereas Samantha and Teeny, they kind of went their separate ways um, and ended up going, uh, well, one went to Hollywood and then the other one, I don't actually know where Samantha went necessarily. Teeny is on the cover of one of the magazines and Chrissy's like, can you believe this tramp? What does she have that people just go crazy over? And of course, Rosie O'Donnell, you know, good old Roberta just says, long legs, a tiny waist and perky breasts. And Chrissy's like, you know how I feel about swearing. And Roberta being a literal OBGYN, she's like, breast is not a dirty word. Can't hear you, breast. Uh, which is just like an iconic line. Uh, we then see that uh, Samantha is driving up to the Gaslight Edition. Gaslight Edition is like a planned community that it looks like Chrissy still lives in. We then also uh, see our introduction to uh, Teeny pulling up in a limousine. Uh, and I love her when she gets out. She's just like, hey, bitches, which I just really enjoy. Um, but of course, there are certain memories that come back for Samantha and Teeny, I'm sure, as well, coming back to their old kind of stomping ground, if you will. We then get the introduction that uh, the house that they've come to is literally, you know, the uh, childhood home of Chrissy. She just took it over from her mom. Uh, we assume that her mom has since passed away or something like that, or just isn't living there any longer. So um, it really hasn't changed much since they lived there, which is just really funny. Um, and of course, they don't keep hard liquor in the house. So like I don't, anything you got, it's fine. Because of course, you know, Teeny and Samantha, they wanted a little bit something harder. But of course, they're like, we don't, you know, Chrissy's like, we don't keep hard liquor in the house, um, which I just thought was really funny. We then get introduced to a little bit of Morton, um, who is Chrissy's husband, because he's doing a barbecue in the back. Uh, We see that there's a treehouse in the tree that um, Roberta's just, like, 
chilling and like walking up to and she's like already up there and we see the girls uh we see samantha and teeny they go over to the swings and get on the swing set uh we see roberta just like pushing them and then chrissy is sitting on a lawn chair as they're kind of just like talking and reminiscing you know chrissy's saying something about like take roberta for example you know she lives in sin with her boyfriend and by boyfriend i mean probably girlfriend but you know um and she's decided not to have children because i think the whole conversation was like you know oh well look who's been married four times teeny <laughs> it'd be like actually it was three times the first one was annulled um so it doesn't count <laughs> and you know samantha's just like god i would never have children are you kidding me oh my god it's just like this archaic kind of thing and you know she's not really for the idea of having a child necessarily it looks like uh, but that this serves as our introduction to then going back in time, good old time travel, and we get sent back to the 70s, where we get introduced to the young version of our stars. So we see that we're back in the summer of 1970, where these girls are pretty much now around like 12 years old or so. And so they run back into the house of Chrissy's house, and they then are running out um, to go get on their bicycles and then go and right away we then see the gaslight edition and we get introduced to it again but now it's like literally a newer edition um so this had just pretty much opened up you know the new was new it was in out with the old in with the new we then get introduced uh to samantha's room and then we just hear her parents kind of yelling at one another uh this is something that you know i think samantha seems to be used to uh by this point uh but apparently her little sister is not her little sister um is her name is angela albertson and she is actually a young child rumor willis um because of course she would be but um we see that uh angela gets into bed with samantha because that's her older sister and she feels comfort um because you know her parents yelling don't really doesn't really bother her like that and she's able to give that comfort um to her younger sister who might be a little bit more uh concerned and frightened so you see that that's like a little bit of samantha's caring side that she just had gotten used to and that she was able to provide to her younger sister. We then see that Roberta is just checking to see how big her boobs have gotten and she's now just like doing a binding job on herself because she's just like, why in the hell do I have boobs? What the heck? Um, we see that she has a photo of uh, what we then learn is her mother who died when she was four and pretty much she lives with her father and her three older brothers. Um, and so we definitely get the idea that she is a um absolute tomboy uh in this film and so you know she's just trying to kind of make it as a girl uh with a bunch of boys around her and then we see that teeny is uh you know just practicing her speech uh to get her award we find out that you know she uh comes from you know country clubbers her parents are country clubbers she's the only kid you know, I don't think her parents pay that much attention to her, which, of course, is the breeding ground for pathological liars and actors. 
And then we get uh, introduced to Chrissy again. Uh, she's brushing her hair um, up to 100. And her mother comes in. Her mother is played by Bonnie Hunt. Love that. And her mother is definitely a little overbearing. She notices, like, the record player is up. That'll get dusty. And she notices her canopy's up. And, you know, gotta bring that down. And apparently, um, Mrs. DeWitt was uh, kind of caught off guard by her daughter asking her about sex. Uh, but since her friends are little trash mouths, I guess it's best if you, you know, hear it from me. But you can tell that, you know, I think Bonnie Hunt is so funny in this. She only gets a little bit of a, a part, honestly. But, you know, it's so funny that she uh, talks about, you know, she's so uncomfortable with talking to her daughter about sex, even though her daughter's literally like, yeah, I want to know about sex. Like, what? I'm 12. I don't know anything. <laughs> and uh, you can tell that, like, she's very sheltered. But I, this is kind of a, an iconic part of this, of, um, you know, her uh, Mrs. DeWitt's like, like, look at this. This is a flower. You know, now a flower needs water to, you know, grow. Every woman has a flower, and they need a big hose or a small hose to to kind of fill it, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's just so funny to me um, how she kind of explains this. And then you hear a voiceover from Samantha being like, and this is why, uh, for a significant part of Chrissy's life, she will be obsessed with gardening. Which I thought was really good. We then get our introduction to the Wormer brothers. So we see four of the brothers, one of whom is played by Devin Sawa, who literally is coming off of him being in Casper. And of course, Christina Ricci was also in Casper. So they had a big year in 1995 as literal children. But then you see the Wormers throwing like jello balloons at uh, the girls. And of course, Chrissy's trying to protect them all. But then they run off like little wimps. And you know, Roberta's trying to chase after them, but does not successfully get them, unfortunately. Um, which is kind of sad. And of course, they're just being like little misogynistic, you know, 70s kids and saying like, you know, yeah, but like, you know, whatever. But then you see the girls actually leaving the Gaslight Edition because they're like, you know what, let's go into town. Like, screw this. So we see that we have a little, you know, uh, town center of Shelby, Indiana. We see there's a little like wedding going on. It's like these two people getting married and then obviously like the mother of one of them with a baby, which I thought was kind of funny because... They must have gotten married because they had a baby. But you get, like, the town center, pretty much. You see, like, a Sears there. You see this little, like, eatery that um, the girls have gone to to get some food. And so they're just kind of sitting at this little eatery, you know, getting some food. They're taking a quiz from Cosmo that Teeny, of course, is having everyone take. And then you see our introduction to one of the characters we'll then meet a little bit later as well. Uh, but you have Willa Dean, I believe her name is, played by the one and the only Janine Garofalo. You'll see her a little bit later as well. But she apparently is this witch, and people think that she's a witch. During this time as well, this scene kind of goes on for a bit, but you um, find out that the girls are working towards a goal of getting a treehouse that's $129. So they're counting out their money, doing their bookkeeping to see like, okay, here's the money that we have and we still need to get a little bit more because it's like $129. So we need to like somehow get that. And so then we get introduced to Sam's mother, Mrs. Albertson, um, played by Lolita Davidovich. Uh, and she is just dressing like Nancy Sinatra at this point, pretty much. Which, um, of course, Teenie's just like, oh my god, she looks like Nancy Sinatra. I love it. Um, and she's just so down. And that's such a specific time as well, which I think is really great. 
Uh, I also like how Willadine um, brings the girls, like, their food. They bring them sodas or whatever. And she just calls them boys, like, four brown calves. And then Chrissy's all like, we're girls. And then Willadine's like, I know. Which I just thought was really funny. Uh, and then during this time as well, you see that um, Teeny is then reading off the results of this uh, Cosmo test while also talking a little bit about how Willa Dean is apparently a witch. She's got voodoo dolls. She apparently had some guy have a heart attack because, you know, before the principal had his heart attack, they found like a little doll that looked like him, which I thought was really funny. But you see the girls kind of talking with one another and just how they interact with one another, which I thought was really fun as well to look at. We also get this interesting introduction to Samantha being interested in the paranormal, how she wants to do a seance um, in the graveyard tonight. Um, so we get a little bit of that as well, of um, her interest in that, which then is interesting because she then is a science fiction writer, it seems like. So of course she'd be interested in that. I also like how one of the results for, I think, Chrissy, it was like, you know, don't limit yourself or you'll dry up like a prune. And of course she doesn't know what that means, which I just thought was really funny um, with how innocent that Chrissy really is. We then get uh, the Gaslight Edition at night um, where, you know, you just see the cars and the um, house is all kind of parked. But this is where we actually see that Mr. Albertson is actually leaving the family. So earlier we saw um, that they were fighting, but now the father has actually really left he put his things in a suitcase put it in his car and is now gone and samantha just feels a certain way about this because at this time and she says this in a voiceover she states that nobody else in the gaslight edition had ever gotten a divorce so she didn't want to be the first one so that's why she's kind of hiding it from her friends she didn't want to kind of be the first one um but at this time you know you also see mrs albertson checking on her daughter just to see how she's doing and then samantha just pretends that she's asleep uh, but of course she kind of just saw that whole thing and then she, uh, samantha then gets her stuff and she then goes to the graveyard um to go meet her friends so we then get an introduction to the girls in a cemetery they've got lit kids candles they're sitting around in a circle because you know they are just trying to be spooky chicks which i appreciate um and they're trying to do a seance and they want to just you know get into that spooky shit so you see that uh samantha's kind of leading the whole on this i believe that uh thor birch asks to contact marilyn monroe but then she didn't cooperate which i was kind of funny but then samantha's like well let's try to contact someone in the cemetery and they then notice that there is a like pretty much 12 year old boy who is apparently buried in the cemetery so they decide all right let's try to get him and so they end up you know trying to um summon dear johnny who is the kid the deceased kid we then see that chrissy is like kind of going rocking back and forth and it's, it's almost as if she's like been invoked to with the spirit of this this child but then we see that she's just playing a prank on the girls um because she thinks that they're just so gullible when it comes to that paranormal stuff and then of course roberta has to punch her because you know why wouldn't she because she's being kind of an ass and so then you see that it's just 
but then once that all is done, you see a lightning bolt just like kind of come out of the sky and like, you know, hit something like a tree or whatever. It just starts raining. So then the girls, of course, are like running and they're just trying to run out of the cemetery. But then Samantha, I think, sees like a weird like shadow or something. And she's just like, what the hell is that? And then we get our intro to Crazy Pete. He's played by Walter Sparrow and he's riding on his bike. Crazy Pete seems like he's kind of an old man who doesn't really talk to a whole lot of people. He really only comes out at night, which is why he gets the moniker of Crazy Pete. Um, But we find out more about him within the story as well. We then see each respective girl in bed. We see that Chrissy has like on rollers and of course she has to look under the bed for monsters. But we then see Samantha in bed. Her window is open and everything's kind of blowing around a little bit. So it looks kind of creepy a little. But then we see that there's like this intricate system of communication that they have where Samantha's house by string is connected to Roberta's house. And if she pulls the string, a bell will go off that'll let Roberta know. And then Roberta then takes a flashlight and like just flashes it to Teenie's window so that then Teenie can get on a walkie talkie. But there's this whole intricate kind of thing going on. It appears that Chrissy actually has the walkie-talkie and that they're going to be doing a secret meeting. And they go back to the cemetery because they're like, oh my gosh, like, remember, like, I thought we saw somebody after the seance. And I think it was, like, the spirit. So, of course, they then go back to the cemetery and they're taking their little flashlights and they're just trying to see, like, what's going on here. Because Samantha seems to think that ghosts just followed her home. But then they notice that dear Johnny's headstone has actually been cracked. And they're like, oh my god, we did it. Like, this is great. Like, you know, we actually, like, did it. We were able to summon a spirit. And we brought him here. Like, this is awesome. Uh, And it's just kind of that interesting, like, preteen whimsy that they have. Which I thought was really kind of fun. We then have the girls um, who are trying to research a little bit about, you know, what's going on with Dear Johnny. But, of course, because there was a fire, uh, they don't really have any records on it. But the librarian did say that, like, hey, maybe another library in town or maybe another library outside of town would have it. So, you know, the girls are just, like, eating a nice little popsicle um, on uh the ground while they're doing this but then of course they're riding their bikes lots of bike riding in this movie as well which i i love and they're just like singing they have their little radio and stuff that they like play while they do it but they're deciding like you know okay like we're gonna bike over to this city because we're 12 to try to see what else we can find out um about this whole dear johnny thing since we're so interested in it and of course this is also like the 1970s so it was definitely a different time of sorts uh, of what was going on. So then uh, uh, the girls stop at a little like grocery store to have some food. They're playing Truth or Dare, where I think it's um, Teeny asks, Okay, Roberta, Truth or Dare? Truth. Just how big are your boobs now? Which is just really funny. And they're just kind of sitting around um, eating some food, drinking some Coke, as you do with your friends. Um, they're talking about how, like, you know, Teeny doesn't have real boobs yet because they're 12. And. Of course, you know, this thing kind of informs the fact that, like, uh, Melanie Griffith ended up, you know, or Teeny ended up becoming an actress and, you know, doing a lot more with her, uh, her features. We find out that they, uh, Teeny also uses jello filled balloons to, like, pad her bra, which is kind of fun. But then, of course, Chrissy's just like, well, what flavor is it? Oh, vanilla. Got it. Cool. 
cool, cool, cool. Um, and then, of course, we have the iconic, you know, well, have you ever been French kiss, Chrissy? And then Chrissy's just like, uh, I don't want to get pregnant. And then they're like, of course you're not going to get pregnant. Like, uh, But she says it's common knowledge that if you tongue kiss a boy, he automatically thinks you'll do the deed with him. Um, they can't help it. They're driven. <laughs> And so, of course, you could see that, you know, good old Mrs. DeWitt, they uh, really hammered in home what, you know, what boys want, apparently, which I just thought was kind of funny. We also get the wonderful line, um, again, from Mrs. DeWitt's, like, teaching that, you know, well, yeah, isn't that what happens? Like, the man takes his watering can and he sprinkles it on the flower. And then the girls are just like, uh-huh, Chrissy, that's exactly what happens with sex. But they're, of course, still riding their bikes. They're now singing Knock Three Times, which is a great song. It's wonderful. It's kind of synonymous with this movie in a way. And they're riding their bikes. They're going to maybe, you know, do a little... Uh, they actually have the scene uh, that they stop at a little bit and they um, end up... What's, what ends up happening is uh, there's a bird... And and it actually shits on Chrissy, which is just so funny because it gets on her shirt. And it also, I think, gets into her hair a little bit as well. So, of course, like, that's a huge thing. Um, it actually gets all in her hair, which is, like, gross and disgusting. And then, of course, the girls can't do anything more than just laugh about her and just, like, laugh right at her face about it. And I think that's one of the things I love about this movie in particular is that, you know, this is very much... It definitely gets compared to something like Stand By Me uh, just for girls. But I definitely think, like, it's so cool to see these, like, young girls being young girls and just, you know being friends with each other at a time where, you know, you didn't have t a bunch of TV and, you know, stuff to do. Like, you, you had to have your own sort of fun. We then have the girls at the watering hole, and they're now getting together, and they're just kind of splashing around with each other because they're all friends. But then, of course, Roberta um, has to kind of take it a little too far. She gets on a tree branch, and she jumps into the lake, Um which, if you listen to other episodes of my podcast, you'll know that I have a thing with lakes. Like, I just think they're really gross, and I would not want to swim in one. Um, but anyway, but you see that Roberta, apparently, you know, they don't know what's happened with her. They don't know what's going on, um, because apparently she might have just drowned, or she just, like, something's gone on. And the girls then are like, oh my god, I see her body floating there. Like, what the hell's going on? Holy shit. Like, is our friend dead? So, of course, they're going over and they're trying to get her, seeing what they can do. Um, and, of course, like, you know, Roberta's just laying there kind of just, like, lifeless and as if she, you know, as if she died almost. And they're like, oh, my God, we have to get her on shore. We got to, like, do CPR with her. Like, you know, she's not breathing. This is horrible. Somebody's got to do mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. I'll do CPR. And be like, no, it's the other way around. But then Chrissy just gets in there and she's just like, girl, I'm going to help you. Don't worry. And then I really do love how Chrissy just knows all about, like, CPR. And she's about to do, do it. But then you see that uh, Roberta was just playing, pretty much. She just spits water in Chrissy's face. But Chrissy literally punches Roberta right in the face. And I love that because she's just like, don't, you don't ever do anything to, like that to me again. It's just like, 
I love that scene because then you find out that this wasn't the first time that she's faked her death. And you just start to see that Roberta has this morbid sense of humor and she wanted to make death funny to maybe make it easier on herself. And that her friends never really understood that. And I think that's a really interesting way of kind of looking at this. Um, but you then find out that, you know, Roberta and Chrissy, they're really best friends. Um, so even like after, you know, Roberta says like, you know, I'm sorry, hell of a right hook you got there. <laughs> and then of course, Chrissy's like, don't swear. So I really like that scene. Um, when this is happening, cause you get to see a little bit more depth to um, Roberta's character and just to the friend group in general. The girls, after this whole thing with Roberta has happened, they hear these noises and they're like, oh my God, you know, what's going on? So they go and they see that the Wormer boys are all in the, you know, the lake and they're all just splashing together. And apparently a bunch of them just have their clothes off. And so, of course, they're kind of looking and be like, oh my God, what the hell? Oh my God. And so, of course, Teeny says, you guys, I saw his penis and the balls, which I thought was really funny. And I was just like, oh my god, this is so ridiculous. And of course the girls are just laughing because they're just like, oh my god, these kids are like just like naked pretty much. And they're just like splashing around. And of course, like, <laughs> Chrissy doesn't want to feel left out of like, well, I'm the only one who hasn't seen, you know, Scott's thing, you know? And I don't want to be left out. <laughs> but I want to make this perfectly clear that I'm looking under protest, which I think is really funny. Um, she's just like, oh, okay. And so then, you know, she then is also saying, like, huh, well then, like, <laughs> it's not very big. She just, you know, I love Chrissy so much because she's just so innocent. And it's also like this frank discussion of, you know, 12 year olds, because uh, these girls are pretty much like, you know, um, playing similar ages to what they are in this movie. Um, so it's really interesting to have that kind of frank dialogue between you have friends about things like sex at such a pivotal time in their lives. But then of course the girls decide they're going to play a little prank on the wormers. So they take their clothes um, and they're like, all right, let's take their clothes and we're going to take our bikes and we're going to leave them out here all naked and shit. That's exactly what we're going to do. So then, of course, they have to go and just be like, hey, Wormers. And then, of course, like, these boys are just like, oh, shit. Oh, no. We're naked all together, being brothers and splashing around and shit. And be like, yeah, dream on, asshole. I love how these girls just, like, swear and everything, too. Again, this movie is just so, I think it's so great for that very reason. And then you just see a whole lot of, like, boy butts a little bit as well in this movie, which, again, I don't think was very, um... I don't know about how I feel about any of this. If anything, it's used for comedy. And I think it is something where if you've seen this movie, you're like, oh, yeah, that absolutely happened in this, like, PG-something movie, I guess. But, you know, different time in 1995, I guess. That's definitely kind of a, an iconic... And then, of course, like, you know, Thor Birch says, oh, well, nice undies. <laughs> but I do think this is a very funny scene when they're all just kind of like, you know, getting back at one another, and it's just hilarious to me in a way. So the girls have ended up at the library in the next town over that they just rode their bikes all through, and of course they're all, like, dry now, even though they were all in the water 
and all of this kind of stuff. But they're just going through these big indexes of the different newspapers that are going on. They're just trying to figure out what's going on in the archives. But this is when you see you have a pivotal moment in this where, you know, they're going through as much as they can. And then unfortunately, they end up seeing what ends up happening is that Roberta actually sees the news report of when her mother passed away. Uh, and we find out that it was a local teacher, so she apparently was a teacher. Then Roberta is reading about what actually happened to her mom, which was pretty much a driver at a pickup truck fell asleep at the wheel, had a head-on collision with her mom, and she was pinned for an hour and a half before, you know, she was able to be, you know, extracted from the vehicle. And she died during the night at Green City Hospital of massive head injuries and severe internal bleeding. And then we see a photo of the car in question and then her mother as well. And so the girls are just like, oh God, this must have been so awful. You know, a lot of pain. And Christina Ricci is just so good at really being able to talk about like this and really give some emotion to this character in particular, which I think she does a really good job at. So of course she takes this archive um, and she wants to make a copy of it because she's like, well, hell I'm going to do this because obviously we just saw her, you know, kind of have this morbid humor because of this. And so now she's facing the fact of what actually happened to her mom. And I think that's a really kind of strong um, point in this movie because, you know, it's her being able to, to deal with the death of her mother in a way. And, and this is one way she's doing that. Unfortunately, she didn't want to do it, but uh, if anything, it's it's an interesting character beat for Roberta, especially. So they're still looking through the archives, just trying to figure out what's going on with Dear Johnny, uh, even though the mood is kind of a little bit tepid, just because, um, you know, find out about your mom's death. But then they think they found something in one of the newspapers. So they see that funeral services will be held for a Jonathan Sims and his mom, Beverly Ann Sims. And pretty much there was unexpected and tragic circumstances that happened with the deaths and that the services have to remain private. So they end up finding something about that and they're like, oh shit, I think we found about this Dear Johnny thing. Like, hell yeah, we found something else. There's not anything else about this, but that's all we really know about it is that, okay, Beverly Ann Sims and her son seem to be killed in some way or there's tragic stuff going on. Somebody went to a lot of trouble to rip out these pages because we see that the pages uh, of this have been ripped out, actually. So somebody's really gone to a lot of trouble to try to keep this a secret. We then get a really interesting scene with um, a Vietnam veteran played by an uncredited Brendan Fraser in, like, his post-Encino Man, but a little bit pre-George of the Jungle days, which I thought was crazy. I love Brendan Fraser. I think he was so hot this time. I still think he's a good-looking dude, and I love him. Anyway, you know, these girls are on their bikes. They're talking about, hey, you know, were you in the war? Didn't you, did you get shot? And they have this really interesting conversation with this man. Um, they don't take 
him as like a dangerous stranger or anything. They're just talking to him like a person because um, he's just coming back from Vietnam. And of course, they're thinking like, well, we're winning, right? And then of course, the guy's like, well, nobody's winning. Of course, they all then are just like sharing cigarettes too, which I thought was really funny as well. Just different time. I think this is a very interesting scene, A, because it's an uncredited Brendan Fraser cameo. But then also, you know, this idea that these girls who are 12 years old um, are finding out that, you know, the world is not what you think it is or what it's told to you, you know? And this guy's talking about, like, yeah, nobody's winning in Vietnam, and it's just kind of all a bunch of bullshit. And so they get to get this interesting scene with just some, some guy on the road, and they ask him if he has a purple heart, you know, but... It's. They think it might be a huge honor, but it's really not. Because um, to him, like, it's interesting because you think, like, oh, well, with these military folks, like, they're somehow heroes, right? But that's not how all military folks think about what has happened. Like, very much this guy, obviously, was pro- will probably be suffering from some sort of PTSD, you know what I mean? If anything, he says, you know, you can believe in yourself if you're lucky. But I thought this is a really interesting just thing to bring up, because in the 1970s, you know, we're still in the thick of a little bit of the Vietnam War, and we're, you know, trying to get out of it and everything. But, you know, we get to see somebody who obviously came back um, because he was injured. That's just something really interesting. And and we also get to feel like, you know, okay, like, you know, with Chrissy, because, you know, she's a sheltered person, you know, he no- she notices he has an earring and be like, oh, you must be a hippie or something. This guy also says, like, your parents aren't always right. And of course, like, Samantha feels a certain way about that. But again, to kind of reiterate, I just really like this scene because this guy isn't a danger to those girls or anything he's just kind of talking about the world giving these 12 year olds something to think about and a little bit of life experience to just be like hey you know the world's kind of messed up sometimes but you know hopefully you can believe in yourself and then of course like samantha says whatever it is you're looking for i hope you find it and again i just think it's a really nice scene so the girls have biked back to the gaslight edition and then we see that samantha is having dinner with her mom and her sister we finally are finding out like you know what's actually going on with this divorce because her sister's like oh oh hey i want to see my dad and then well you only get to see him certain times and then you have the introduction to grandma albertson who is now knocking on the door trying to get into the house you have to go with him um and then of course her mom's like you know okay god jesus and then of course grandma albertson is played by cloris leachman rest in peace comedic wonder yeah you get to see a little bit of that and just how you know mrs albertson is dealing with this but then the girls then bike over to good old uh willa dean janine groffalo um to get a little bit of guidance about what's going on with this whole dear johnny situation which i find is very interesting um because this movie is not like a spooky movie at all but there's definitely a lot of like thought about like the paranormal and like just what happens after you die a little bit and it's just very interesting that they kind of put some emphasis onto that kind of subject in this movie so the girls pay Willa Dean to come into her house to kind of see like hey you know what can you maybe tell us about what's going on with this whole spirit and we want to know um, kind of what's going on I will just say that Janine Garofalo looks really wonderful in this film um, everything from her little waitress outfit to when she's meeting with these girls 
Girls in the 70s um, kind of get up. I personally, um, I have probably already said this before, but this is a Janine Groffalo stan account. I love her so much, and I wish I just could be as funny as she is, and I wish I just, you know, could have her wonderful little movie career. You know, so the girls are sat down to, like, this little psychic reading that apparently is going on. Again, I think Willa Dean is a little bit full of it. They're just going along with it because they're like, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> so then the girls are told to shuffle these cards and you got to relax your mind, relax your body, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so apparently um, they're going to be able to read these cards, you know, these tarot cards, I guess, of what's exactly going on. So the girls leave Willa Dean's um, little psychic reading place. She had done these like little cards and she looked kind of freaked out because apparently this kid might have been murdered or something but of course they weren't saying that but then the girls as they're leaving they're like oh my god like you saw what she looked like this guy must have been you know this kid must have been murdered or something but they're trying to be like you know okay well who else could we go to like can't really find anything else and this is where we get the idea that you know okay well maybe we can have maybe i can talk to my grandma you know because we just had the scene with her grandmother you know checking with her her mom and trying to find her be like she's the oldest person i know we can call you know contact her so then samantha gets on the phone with her grandma and be like okay well we have our poker game but you guys can come over after that and so in the meantime uh, we find out there's a little softball game going on, and so the girls, of course, have to come over and, you know, play some softball, and of course, Alberta has to show, you know, especially since I think she's going to be a lesbian later in life, um, she, of course, has to, you know, pitch in and do a little bit of, um, you know, pitch in, if anything, or not a sports person at all, so I don't even know half of what I'm talking about. But you do see uh, this little scene of softball, and I do love how Chrissy just says touchdown, which is just hilarious. And you also get a little intro to, like, a little, <laughs> a little nerd little nerd boy and then of course he's like interested in chrissy and then of course chrissy's just like ew nerdo like you're gross you're so weird little fun fact you then find out that this little geeky kid from the 70s is actually morton her husband later on on so i think it's really funny but then you get this little asshole that says girls can't play softball which is just like kind of stupid and of course roberta's like oh you want to try me now oh okay really you want to try me with the 70s misogyny type shit um and she just slugs the guy which i think is really funny because it just shows that like yeah don't fuck with me because i'm a girl don't be thinking like i'm gonna be some sort of way uh because of this because i can also kick your ass because this is also the 1970s. Things were happening. <laughs> Even though Chrissy tried saying, like, you know, remember, act like a lady. And be like, girl, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and I also love how Chrissy just says foul mouth when the kid calls a crazy bitch. The kid literally says something like, you know, glad your mother's dead. She should teach you how to act like a girl. And then fucking Sam just goes after this kid, too. Which I'm just like, hell yeah. I know that's right. I kind of love all of it. I'm just like, yes. Like... This all I'm kind of down for. I'm down with this. So then we see that Samantha has, you know, ridden her bike back to her house after getting into a fight with this kid. Um, and she's, like, proud with herself. But then she goes in the house and she sees that her mom uh, has a new friend that she wants her to meet. And that uh, we have the intro to Mrs. Albertson's new boyfriend, Bud Kent, 
who is played by Hank Azaria, most is like himself. You know, again, this is kind of showing like what happens when somebody splits up after they've gotten divorced and you're trying to maybe get with someone else to help with the situation or at least help yourself move on from you know the collapse of your marriage but is trying to make small talk we find out that samantha's into science fiction and we also see that bud is like volunteering to maybe take the you know family to the smithsonian he talks about how you know have you been to smithsonian like it's big it's great we should all go but i really like the scene where you know they're at dinner and they are it's that awkward part of like your mother is trying to like get over her now ex-husband and the kids are, you know, especially the preteen kid is just like, what the hell is this bullshit? What's going on? Of course, the young, youngest daughter, you know, she's not really going to think too much about it. But, you know, um, with Samantha, obviously she knows her father as her father. And she doesn't want to let go of her father like that. I do also love how uh, Samantha also calls Bud, Bug, which I thought was very pronounced. She's just not into any of this. She's just like, oh, no, no, no. This is like, you're not my dad and I don't want you to be my dad. So I just thought it was really interesting to put these scenes in there that kind of show what's going on because this is a conflict within the movie, if anything, um, a little bit of just, we've gotten this at the beginning that Samantha's parents are splitting up and we're kind of seeing this through um, to see just how awkward it is when this happens. So I thought it was very interesting. And then of course, like Samantha's mother gets one of her dad's shirts to give to Bud after he spills his drink on himself. And then of course, Samantha's just like, oh, so you're trying to make him be my dad then. Okay, gotcha. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out and uh, go see my friend. So then we see that Samantha goes to Teenie's house. You see Teenie's parents are having a party downstairs while Teenie is just upstairs with her cat and she's just hanging out. We see Teenie uh, on top of the roof just watching a drive-in movie as you do, especially you know, um, because she ends up being a movie star and she of course would do this to help get yourself a free movie. And Samantha comes over and you know, she sees her friend. I just love how they just climbed on the literal roof and are just talking to each other. This is to kind of show that Teenie and Samantha have a particular friendship that's a little different from Roberta and Chrissy's relationship. You get a little bit in the beginning of the movie. You see that four girls are friends with each other, but these two separate groups of them are also very, um, are specifically close to one another. We then see Roberta playing a game of basketball by herself, and then Scott Wormer, played by Devin Sawa, he comes over and is playing uh, basketball with her a little bit as well, you know, because again, if they're going to do anything, um, might as well, you know, do it with a boy um, who can kind of keep up with you athletically, especially since we are to believe that Roberta is probably the most athletic out of all of the girls for being able to do this. I do think it's funny that like in this movie, especially because we do find, and we'll get into it I guess a little bit later, but I always kind of wonder if in the beginning when, you know, because um, we have this scene with 
Scott and Roberta on a little swing and they're talking to one another and you know they're having cokes or whatever while he's talking and everything. I think this is also really funny that they have a scene with these two actors together because they were literally just in Casper together, which I thought was really fun. This is a scene where you have uh, Scott kiss Roberta and that's always really nice. And this was the time where, you know, Roberta actually was seemed to be interested in boys, maybe. <laughs> um but I do think it's really interesting. I think as I was saying, um, I just thought like, I thought it was cool maybe if like somehow she ends up with Scott, I guess. We never actually get that closure of like, that's exactly what happened. You know, I kind of do hope that. I think this is also known as like the can I kiss you scene because it's just Scott Wormer just asking, can I kiss you? Can I kiss you? You know, um, very much like, can I keep you from Casper almost in a weird way? Which I, again, I think it's just so funny. And then I love the line that uh, Roberta says, be like, if you tell your brothers about any of this, I'm going to kick your ass or whatever. I think it's so funny. And I just think it's hilarious personally. We then see um, Samantha and Teeny in their little clubhouse they're playing Truth or Dare, where they ask, you know, Teeny asks, like, if you're stranded on a deserted island with the other three girls, you know, and there was no food to eat, who would you eat first? Of course, they say Chrissy. But then Samantha asks, you know, hey, do you like your parents? Because I was thinking about what that guy said about, you know, maybe your parents not always being right. Samantha finally telling somebody their parents split up and that they moved out. If anything, Teeny takes that and she understands in a way. Of just like, hey, you know, like, I don't think your parents know it all at all, you know, and talking about like how the Brady Bunch and like the Partridge family, they're all widows and all these perfect TV shows is like a widower. But then, you know, Teeny's like, there are no perfect families. It's normal for things to be shitty. And I think that's like a really interesting point to make of just like, hey, look, like there's no such thing as perfect. The world is not perfect, pretty much. You just got to hopefully enjoy yourself as the time goes on. But, you know, just know that, yeah, being 12 can suck you guys like so i think they make it a point to say that but then of course even samantha's like well all those people in the tv shows they all died my my family chose you know my dad chose to move out and she has this little crying scene going on and she really misses her dad which is probably why she didn't like this whole bud thing going on and you know this is exactly why she came to her friend to consolement for this because it's something that really is important to her. Again, I think the actresses in this movie, especially the young actresses, I think they did such a good job in this movie. I think do a believable job in portraying these characters. And, you know, we're really able to see them um, be able to flex that dramatic muscle that then, you know, uh, quite a few of these girls, you know, would end up having, like, pretty good careers in, you know, being an actress, so... We then see that Teeny gives a bracelet to Samantha as well, which will come up in the story a little bit later. You really also see, as I mentioned before, Chrissy and Roberta have this particular friendship, but also, like I said, Teeny and Samantha also have this very particular friendship as well um, with one another. And then they have this uh, little line where they're like, you know, I, you know, I heard that in a decade, half the population's gonna be divorced, 
And then they're like, well, I find that really hard to believe. But then, of course, that's true. <laughs> we, again, we then get this harrowing-ass scene where, you know, the girls are on their bikes. They're, you know, riding along. You know, they're trying to find the bracelet that, you know, was just given to Samantha. And apparently it just fell off somewhere. And they see that apparently it actually went into the gutter. This fucking gutter. And it's, like, uh, raining, you know? So, of course, like oh no, like, what the hell's going on? And, um, of course, the bracelet then just slips further into the gutter. But Samantha's like, oh, don't worry. You know, I'm small enough. I can get into this gutter. I'm sure people who watched this also when they were young, too, were probably like, oh my god, girl, what in the hell are you even doing? Like, you are about to literally die. Um, and just drown. Um, and of course she, like, finds a yo-yo down there or something and, you know, it's just so dangerous to even do anything like this. But she's able to get her brace slip back but then shit just goes really bad because then there's a bunch of rushing water coming and it's just going to fill up the gutter more and more and it's going to make it that much harder for sam to actually get out so of course you have teeny being like holy shit my friend's gonna like drown and die in this gutter and then you have samantha's just like trying to like fucking get out of this shit and you're just and like i said it's kind of a little bit harrowing honestly it's a little bit like oh my god like i don't want this girl to die or anything like she already like thinks that a spirit like you know is visiting her um so hell no i'm not trying to like die and just drown in this manhole just trying to see what they can do teeny's asking you know screaming for help to see kind of what they can do you really get to this point where like you know the the gutter is almost filled with water and teeny is just crying for her friend she's trying to get the manhole cover up then you see somebody actually gets the manhole cover up and they're able to jump into this gutter and they're actually able to save samantha from drowning to her death you don't really see who it is in the beginning but then you finally actually see that it is the aforementioned Crazy Pete from before. And so literally, Crazy Pete just saved this girl's life. And they're just like, oh, okay, great, awesome. And he's just like so nice. He's just like, come on now, dear. Like, you know, go home. Like, it's it's all good. Go home. And it's just such a good scene because, you know, Crazy Pete's also asking, like, why are you afraid of me? And they're like, well, it's kind of weird the way way you only come out at night. It's kind of scary, you know? Crazy Pete's just like, well, you know, I don't like to see a lot of people. And I don't think they like to see a whole lot of me either. And so you then just get this kind of beat of like, okay, got it. So we at least kind of get what's going on a little bit with Crazy Pete. But, you know, there's a certain other layer that we get from him as well. Because he just saved this girl's life. That's so awesome. And even Teeny's like, if he wouldn't have been around, girl, like, you would have been dead pretty much. If he had not been there that night. You know, they get to see a little bit of a hero in him, which is really, really great. So then you see the girls, you know, doing their summer job of, like, painting a garage door while Chrissy is eating a Twinkie. Uh, they're singing to uh, Sugar Sugar from the Archies, which then got uh, remixed on Riverdale, which is really fun. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, the girls are like, hey, you know, if you want, like, if you want Chrissy, like, you know, instead of, like, telling us what to do or whatever, like, you can just get up and help. <laughs> and so then the Wormers come 
and they, uh, you know, are just kind of busting their chops and everything, um, which again is just kind of interesting because then you're like, oh, well, one of them's in love with her. It's cute. But of course they have to be very secretive about it, but I just thought that was really fun. So they're just having their uh, little bit of summer. You know, this movie can move kind of a little itty bit slow, I guess, but I do think that there's a reason for that because um, it's not like this kind of fast paced type movie. It's very much more so a comedy drama type movie as well. This is also where you find out that apparently uh, that was the day that Roberta stopped taping her boobs because she wants Scott Wormer to notice her. So the girls then, you know, they are coming over to um, Grandma Albertson's house. Good old Cloris Leachman. Uh, they're coming to her house uh, to say like, hey, we want to know what's going on with dear Johnny. So the grandma lets them in uh, with like a pitcher of lemonade. And then when asked about this whole thing with dear Johnny, you know, they don't really uh the grandmother doesn't really want to talk a whole lot about it but then also you get a little bit of the scene as well of like oh hey girl how are you holding up you know samantha teeny's just like oh you know it's she's fine miss you know albertson we're just coming and we have a question or whatever because you could see that she doesn't want the rest of her friends to necessarily know quite yet so she's trying to be a little helpful to her friend but as you see like you know um grandma albertson is like serving some drinks to the girls some you know lemonade just kind of rebuffs them when they ask about this whole thing not in a mean way but more so just in the way of like oh my god that thing that happened was just like so tragic that i don't really want to think about it um and i don't really want to like talk a whole lot about it but even though they do want to know about it, again, they're just like, you know, don't worry about that kind of stuff. You know, you're like your grandfather. You want to know about, like, all that stuff that's piled up in the attic or whatever. He had these weird fascinations. So you find out a little bit of that. Um, so I guess we are to assume that, like, at this time at least, like, maybe the grandfather had passed away, perhaps. And now, like, the grandmother is just kind of there, like, having fun with her friends. And so the girls, you know, they are kind of shoved out of the house a little bit while her mom her grandmother goes off to poker i think it was but then the girls are like well you know what screw that we're going up in the attic and we're gonna go look for stuff so they end up going uh, up onto the little bit of um like a awning kind of sort of not an awning but it's like it's like a veranda that they have and they just get up on there to go look in the attic for stuff so they end up finding a scrapbook and just different pictures in a wooden chest they're kind of going through some things and again they're just trying to go through whatever makes sense because at this point they really only know that like okay something happened to this dear dear johnny kid and his mom but nobody seems to know about it like we can't find any newspaper stuff about it my grandma doesn't want to tell me anything about it and so now we just have to go sleuthing and we gotta go looking so you know we see that like teeny turns on like the ra- uh the uh, phonograph machine she puts on a record she's kind of dressing up a little bit and then we see that roberta apparently has maybe found something about what is going on she sees wedding parent you know wedding photos of samantha's parents there because of course they kept that kind of stuff again they're just kind of looking at as much as they can it finally happens where they are able to find something about this whole thing with the dear johnny they find a newspaper about what actually went on and it's like a literal jackpot newspaper where they're like this is exactly what happened like holy shit i'm so glad we found something so then you know samantha's reading from it like okay well they were murdered beverly ann sims and her you know son were found brutally murdered on friday and they were found by peter sims 
after leaving the sidecar pub, you know, he entered the house and he saw that they had been shot to death. And pretty much what had happened was that a burglar had come in and they apparently woke up. And then from there, they were killed because it was just a botched burglary. So then you find out all this and it's just a really sucky situation that you find this out. And you see that apparently it was an editorial that the grandfather had written to the paper she's reading this editorial from her grandfather you know of what it is kind of a letter to the editor type of thing and you know talking about how like hey you know you think shelby's a safe town but it's not completely but again this is also the 70s it's talking a little bit about how you know you didn't exactly think like you know bad stuff like this could happen all the time but now we kind of know that obviously as well and then you get a really great moment i think of roberta who is just kind of fed up with this whole thing she's had to she then like throws something like breaks a mirror and she's just like breaking down like talking about like why did they have to die why did she have to die what any of this stuff you know what i mean like and she's talking about how her dad lied to her saying like she was this beautiful angel that swept up and they carried her away when she's finding out that like her mom was in pain for like an hour and a half before she was rescued and then just died of her injuries that night you know and i think i think this is also a very iconic scene of this movie that people remember i think christina ricci does a really good job in it um especially she was like 14 when she did this movie you know it's such a good reflection of a a kid's grief again also it's interesting because you know samantha has such an interest in the the paranormal and kind of like the supernatural if you will which ties into her character but you know i also love this scene because roberta is really kind of seeing like you know i have this weird morbid sensibility about me but actually i'm breaking down because death fucking sucks you know and and why did these innocent people have to die why did my mom have to die all this stuff so i thought it was really good and this is also where we find out that you know samantha's dad had moved out she finally tells the rest of the girls about it and of course they they listen to her and they say you know what screw them you guys have us and this is where they make their little pact that they make of like hey you know what right here right now we're here for each other let's make this pact of like whenever we need somebody whenever we need one another we're gonna be there for each other and i just think that's really nice because you get that kind of you get that kind of bond with these girls which i think is really good and um I think as I stated before, you know, of course, this movie gets compared to Stand By Me, of course, but I think just the fact that this is an original script, you know, it wasn't based off a Stephen King short story like Stand By Me was and and all this, I think it really does a great job at being able to show the relationship between these girls and their friendship. So then the girls are back in the graveyard, you know, they're like, all right, well, we brought dear Johnny back to this world and now we want to bring him back to the spirit world. And of course, they, you know, at least Samantha, she's believing this stuff and we know what happened to your mom we know what happened to you and can you come back and like tell us who had done it we're here to help you rest in actual peace like we're listening you're seeing this whole thing but then you also just see um like these lights and everything and of course like chrissy's like oh my god like this shit's real like what's going on they think like oh no this is horrible like what's going on here like we must have really done something but But then, honestly, nothing actually is happening except literally, they think, like, it's a killer, for example, but literally it's nobody except, like, literal, like, Undertaker guy who's, like, having to replace the headstone. He literally is replacing the headstone that had cracked. So they're like, hey, you know, you should have a little more respect.
respect for the dead, be like, hey, we have plenty of respect for the dead. What are you talking about? Pretty much. I just thought that was kind of a little bit of a funny um, kind of thing, because you find out that, like, this guy had actually no- had accidentally knocked over the headstone with his, his tractor, so he's really just going and, like, replacing this headstone, because, you know, it was just kind of a flub of his, which I thought was kind of a little bit of a sort of funny moment, if anything, of like, oh god, we thought we did something really cool, but I guess we didn't. Oops. Oh well. And again, they just kind of are like, all right, like maybe this, maybe this seance stuff isn't real. Like I'm not doing this anymore. Like, come on, they're a waste of time. And of course, like at 12, you, when you think this kind of cool shit happens, like it really doesn't, honestly, especially if you're not really much of a believer in it. Uh, but I also love this scene because, you know, it's, it's kind of showing like, okay, I guess we have to grow up a little bit and we have to, you know, kind of put other stuff at you know, to the wayside, you know, and as we get older, you know, it just becomes difficult to just believe they have all, and you know, it's kind of this like voiceover that, you know, older Samantha's doing. But I really like this scene because, you know, you get that little bit of levity as well. You get the girls kind of having that, but then you also get a very good scene between Pete and Samantha because as these girls are leaving you know they say oh hey look it's crazy Pete and you see that he's at the graveyard and be like oh you know what let's just like leave him alone like don't worry about him and they're like all right like you know well let's go but then Samantha you know as they're kind of riding off Samantha then decides like oh shoot like I gotta go back to get something like oh no I I forgot to uh I forgot to do something I forgot to get something they have a really nice scene between Samantha and Pete you pretty much find out because you didn't know this until this very moment, that Crazy Pete is actually Peter Sims, who was the father and husband of Beverly Ann and Johnny Sims. So you find out that, you know, Crazy Pete is actually this guy who had his family tragically taken from him. And it can really make you, I'm sure it can make people sad of just like, oh, this is exactly why maybe he is the way he is. I know we were talking a little bit about, you know, the scene where he saves Samantha from the from the drowning in the gutter, pretty much. But it just, it gives a certain level of, it just gives such a great layer to him because he thought he could have stopped it if maybe he hadn't been out at the bar, you know? Maybe if he'd been at home, like, he could have done something. And he blames himself in a weird way for his family's death. But you know what? Like, but you were there for me, though. Like, you saved me that one time. And, and that's what I'm saying, like, the layer of that. And I think even Crazy Pete says, I've wasted a lot of years, you know, afraid to face people. Mostly afraid to face myself. I just think that's, like, a really good, um, I, I love this little scene between, um, Pete and Samantha. Because, as I already kind of stated, like, it gives a layer to Crazy Pete. It's really nice to see that. Um, because he was somebody who was, he was scary to the girls before, but then really he's just a very nice man pete says like there's things that will happen in your life that you can't stop but that's no reason to shut out the world there's a purpose for the good and for the bad it's just a really nice little lesson that you can learn um when you're 12 years old that like yeah the world's not perfect you may have already realized the world's not perfect but that's no reason to then shut out the rest of the world because things aren't you know the way you want them to go so I think that's actually a really good little little lesson to have. So as we finish up the scene in this graveyard where Samantha has put flowers down on Dear Johnny's grave and had that whole moment with 
Crazy Pete, we then see that the girls have finally gotten their treehouse, which is awesome. And they were able to get it, and of course they're prettifying it up, and they're making it look all nice, because of course they're going to do that, because they're friends. And so they're just, like, hanging out in their new little treehouse that they got. I do think it's really cool that, like, literally this thing is up for, like, 20 damn years somehow. Which I think is, like, really fun. And, you know, they're just talking about, you know, we see that, like, Samantha is writing in a little journal of hers. Um, but she's talking about how the summer actually brought, you know, independence from each other. And they're going to be, you know, doing more. And but then we're back in the present day, finally. And because what's actually happening is Chrissy is now going into labor. They say that, oh, my God, no, I saw its head. Oh, no. And then they decide to, uh, you know what? Screw it. Like, let's not take the Jeep. Let's take the um, let's take the limo. <laughs> I love how TD's just like, yeah, no, let's take the limo. It's fine. And then, of course, like, Aurora goes up and she's just like, hey, Hey, um, hey, limo driver, I need your car. I got a pregnant lady here. I got to get her to the hospital. And then the limo driver is just like, hey, look, I could do it and be like, no, we're going to have to do it. So he's just like, okay, fine. So they get back into the limo and they're just like, hey, have a nice day. And then, you know, Roberta is just like driving. And I think this is a really funny scene because Roberta's just driving like a bat out of hell and be like, you know what? This has really pretty suspension. I kind of love it. It's just so funny. We find out that Morton is a dentist, which is kind of fun. And then we get to have, um, we love the things of like, you know, oh God, there's a VCR in here. There's a bunch of, um, <laughs> there's a bunch of like a leg room back here. I mean, hey, if you're going to be uh, having your baby, you might as well, you know, get to go in a limousine while you're going to the hospital. Shit, why not? I love how um, Roberta also says, Chrissy, your uncle. It's just so funny. And then I also love how literally, like, so this whole movie, like, Chrissy has been against swearing. And she's just like, no swearing around my baby. And then, of course, like, as soon as she's giving birth, she's just like, shit. It's so good. And, of course, she wants the drugs, but she's now doing a natural birth, so she can't get the drugs. And so, you know, of course, like, her friend Roberta is going to be, like, delivering her baby, because why wouldn't she be? You know, they're all just like, oh, my God, like, what the hell? Like, that's what a baby looks like? This is great. And so they're just like, and so you have this whole kind of birthing scene, pretty much, and it's just a uh, kind of known part of the movie. But yeah, but then we finally see that Chrissy has finally had her baby, and it's all good. Everything is fine. It's all great. They finally get to have their little baby, their little ray of sunshine. You know, it's cool because Demi Moore is just like, you know, oh shit, like, that's crazy. I got to see my friend have a baby. Like, this is awesome. Um, and so, you know, they're able to say, oh yeah, no, Morton, like, here's your baby. Like, you know, he comes in and sees him. So they see that they have a baby girl and they get to have that, like, nice little, nice little moment as being new parents, which is just so nice and wonderful. If, if I didn't already mention it through this whole podcast, like, I just really like this movie and I think it's really fun and so we're going to be ending up on the you know ending of this but we see that you know the neighborhood kids in the Gaslight Edition are all coming over similar to how the beginning was a little bit but we then see the girls we see the women in the treehouse and they have brought the baby up there now I kind of want to know how exactly did they get the baby up there too like I feel like that's very dangerous in a weird way but of course they're just like looking at the baby in this damn treehouse which 
I love. And of course, like Rosie O'Donnell says that it looks a little bit like Rush Limbaugh. Samantha starts a little game of truth or dare uh, where she asks, like, are you happy? Chrissy's just like, yeah, I'm happy. I could, I'm so happy I could burst, you know, it's great. And then, you know, Teeny asks Roberta, like, truth or dare, just how big are your boobs now? And be like, you know, well, how big are your boobs, Teeny? Be like, 36D and worth every penny, which I love. Um, so then Teeny asks Sam truth or dare, where she asks her, like, are you happy? Samantha's like, not really, but, you know, I just figured that it was normal to for things to be kind of shitty a little bit, you know? You know, they have that whole kind of, like, because I guess you can tell in this film that, like, maybe because of the divorce that, you know, she dealt with when she was a kid of her family, and, you know, she hasn't really been able to get close to anybody enough to, like, want to marry them or anything like that. And she's talking about how, like, yeah, I've had how many relationships and how many years years and I run from each one of them before it gets to this next level this intimacy level and you know if you can't if you don't fall in love you can't get hurt but it is lonely all by yourself you know then find out that the rest of the girls you know uh, didn't exactly know about this whole crazy Pete thing being Peter Sims and we find out that you know Teeny had sent some money to him every now and then because we find out that crazy Pete has actually died which is unfortunate but it's nice that Teeny did that for him but this is where, you know, Samantha finally says, like, hey, did you know that, like, that was Dear Johnny's dad, you know? And that whole thing happened where, like, you know, our last seance in the cemetery, I saw this whole thing with Crazy Pete putting flowers on the grave. And he said these words of just, like, you know, like, things happen in your life and that, that you can't stop. But you know what? It shouldn't then shut out the rest of it. And so she shares that little kind of little words of wisdom she got. And she understands them way more now than she did when she was that kid you know and yeah it's just women just learning like hey you know what i've had some shit times in my life yeah i didn't want to come back here but you know what i'm very glad that i did because i got to be with you girlies and i got to really see that like you guys are really important to have as friends around me and again i think that that's what this whole movie is kind of about is just this female friendship between these four girls they love each other so much they have their conflicts they had their conflicts when they were kids that you mostly see in the movie because you don't really see them as adults a whole lot but you see the conflicts that they have and you come to this agreement of like hey you know what like I'd like to maybe visit more and then they kind of then make another pact of you know hey look you know what one for all and all for one like hey you know what if you can come back here more often so that we can really see one another and, and really enjoy ourselves and then they just stare at one another as they make their little pact and then similar to how the movie began with red rover red rover the ending of the movie is also red rover red rover where now the adult versions of these girls are playing red rover red rover with the neighborhood children which i just think is really fun and i think it's a good ending to the film because you're able to see like hey you know what it's never too late to have a nice little fun game of red rover red rover to you know have your childhood with and then you have the ending of this movie uh which is set to a song called now and then which is a banger by suzanne hoffman and then you have your end credit credits. And that's the end of Now and Then. So in closing, I would say that this movie is just such a fun exploration into, you know, best friends, female friendship, uh, a little fun time capsule of the 70s, and some really great acting from these young girls who who are part of it. Um, it's absolutely a cult classic for a reason. I think a 
this movie definitely helped a lot of young women kind of discover a few things about the world and feel maybe like they weren't, you know, alone or that they, you know, are going through the same kinds of things that these girls were. And so I really think it's a a great movie that, uh, you know, I think anybody can enjoy for the most part, but you know, definitely, I I would highly recommend it. Uh, Right now, you can actually stream this on HBO Max. Uh, It might go away at some point, but, you know, you can always, you know, pull up on there. Uh, But it is also on, you know, Amazon, Apple TV, Vudu, all that for like $2.99 or $3.99 or something like that. So, So you can always, you know, pull up, open your pocketbooks and, you know, give a little money to now and then. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to post when new episodes release. I'll post what the next episode is going to be. Uh, I make Instagram stories with a little fun facts and all that and just general fun stuff over there and on letterboxd you can find me at jesse j-e-s-s-e kremp k-r-e-m-p all one word on there i tend to log the movies that i've been watching i write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. I make it pretty easy for you to find the show. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review. Um, It helps get people to see the show more, and it helps more people find the show in general. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, you are a sexual magnet, attracting men from the four corners of the world. Pace yourself. Take care. Bye. Bye.